We're in church as we continue to worship. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 this morning will be our guide as we continue in this Advent series in John chapter 1. Uh, how many of you have all of your decorations up? You finished with all your decorating for the Christmas season for the Eldridge household? Uh, we do this uh, largely in one day. It's the Saturday after Christmas. We, or excuse me. <laughs> that is called a Freudian slip right there. So it is the Saturday after Thanksgiving that we pull out our Christmas decorations from the attic. Put them up, put the Christmas tree up. It's been something that Danielle and I have done before kids and now that the kids are here. It's sort of a part of the routine of how we celebrate Thanksgiving and how we turn our hearts to the Advent season, to the coming of Jesus. Uh, We love putting up lights inside the house, outside of the house. It's one of the things that I love about the Christmas season is to be able to drive home at night and to see the illumination of homes inside, outside, streets, cities, put up their Christmas decorations. It's a beautiful time. It's not a surprising time. It's not that we are unexpectedly uh, drawn to the lights. Every year they're up, but there's just something about the lights that, that prepare us and they remind us of the central light of Jesus. It's a truth that we should never get tired of hearing that Jesus is a light that can never be extinguished. That Jesus is a light that never goes out. One thing about lights that I'm 100% sure happens to so many of you is no matter how gingerly and carefully you put up your lights, from taking them down one year to pulling them down from the attic the next year and stringing them up, there there is going to be a bulb that goes out, right? Right? There's going to be a whole strand that is shorted out. You're going to have to replace some of our lights, right? Because our earthly lights, they they don't have a long shelf life. They they are fragile and they go out and they are constantly in need of being replaced. And as we stand in this precipice looking forward to the coming of Jesus in the Advent season, it's just a good reminder that Jesus is a light that never has to be replaced. Jesus is a light that never is extinguished. Jesus is a light that doesn't go out. Uh, John tells us so beautifully of the light of the world that we know to be Jesus. In John chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Last time we were together, we looked at verses 1 through 3, the introduction of the word as Jesus. And I remind you, last time uh, we looked at this passage last week, we looked at the identity of the word as Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. We talked about the divinity of the word, the eternality of the word, the relationality of the word, that he's always, there's never been a time that Jesus has not existed. That he's the eternally begotten son of God. That he doesn't come into existence. He comes into this world, the one who is eternal, 
is earthbound. This is what is mysterious about the incarnation. This is what's so powerful. The one that has always been with God the Father and always been with God the Spirit enters into human history. The, the one who is the author of all that exists, the universe, the galaxies, the world, your life, my life, this author enters into his own story, becomes a central hinge of human history that separates uh, B.C. from A.D. The, the very hope of eternal life rests in him coming, living a perfect life, and dying a sacrificial death. The light has come. As I told you last week, because he's the author of all, that means he is the authority of all of our life. As we continue in John chapter 1, we're reminded of these images of life and light and how John uses them and what they mean for your life and my life. Jesus is the source, Christian, of true life. In verse 4, we read, in him was life and the life was the light of men. That one verse reminds us of the answer to a crucial Christmas question, and that's why did he come? Why did Jesus leave eternity to enter into this earth? Did did he do it just to get away for a little bit of time? Did he do it just to have an extended 33-year vacation? Did he descend it to to see the sights and the sounds? To be able to check it out? Because the right-hand throne of the Father is a little too far removed and remote from the happenings of this world. Is that why he came? No, he came because there's a predicament upon this world a predicament in your heart and my heart. There is a problem that begs a solution and that solution is the savior that we know to be Jesus. Now, if you don't understand the problem, you're not gonna bask in the good news of the Christmas story. If we don't take some time to realize that the light comes into this world because there's darkness in this world and there's darkness in the human heart, you're going to miss what is so gloriously good news about Jesus' coming. We live in a day and age that would really sell you the kind of worldview that we're, we're basically good people. That all of us, regardless of age and creed, regardless of background, we're basically good people that with the right information and the right education, we will do good things for ourselves and others. And the solution to the world's problems are found in the curriculum that descends upon us to give us the right information and the right education to cure us from our ignorance. Evil exists because there's ignorance. That's the, that's the worldview that so many people buy into. Other people would say, hey, it's not, a, not just an ignorance problem. We're basically good people that left to ourselves would do good things. And we as a world would flourish if we just had the right judicial systems, the right just laws, the right legislation, the right governmental support. And so we look to education or we look to legislation, we look to these things outside of ourselves to say, hey, help us with the evil that's in our heart and the evil that is around us. And we all agree that this world has darkness. You don't have to be a Christian 
to be affected by the darkness of this world. You don't have to be a Christian to be affected by the darkness that resides in your heart. They grips you at times. You disappoint yourself. You disappoint others. You harm yourself. You harm others. Evil is real. It's not a mirage. It's not an illusion. It is something that, that, that we can touch. It is perceptible. And we've been victims of it. All of us have a story where darkness has entered into us and we've been affected by us. And we need a solution. But what is the solution? Well, again, you've got to understand the problem. G.K. Chesterton, 19th century novelist, early 20th century journalist, a Christian apologist, was living in London, the primary paper there, paper record is the Times. So the editors of the Times, they uh, gave a kind of editorial questioning to their readers to be able to write in to their one question. And the question was this, what is wrong with the world? Again, this is 1895. What is wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton wrote a one-sentence reply to this question. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I don't want you to miss this. The question is, what's wrong with the world? And his answer is, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Now, now, what they were fishing for, of course, you can understand. It, it, is, it is as relevant now as it was then uh, that they were fishing for Chesterton and all the readers to be able to write in. Hey, I'll tell you exactly what's wrong with the world. It's those liberals or those conservatives or the education system or the lack of access to health care or those politicians or big business or my boss or my teacher or my family or my neighborhood. Point, 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 point. And Chesterton boils it down to say, hey, there is darkness in the world and that darkness, it starts in my own heart. There's a word for that. And that word is sin. And unless you understand that sinfulness resides in you and, and, and comes forth from you, you, you will not understand why there was Christmas 2,000 years ago and what the relevance of the incarnation is for your life and my life. Paul would say it this way. He just, he just gets to the point. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3, and you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, so he's writing to Christians in a church in Ephesus talking about how you were dead in your trespasses. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here is, is the, the crux of our problem that we as humanity have a darkness issue, and that darkness issue is sin. Sin that resides in us by nature and sin that we choose to commit by our choices here. There is a darkness that resides in this world and that darkness starts in, in your soul and in my soul. We have fallen. We are broken. And, and we look to all the king's horses and all the king's men to put our Humpty Dumpty back, lives back together again, but we can't. The government can't do that. Legislation can't 
do that. Education can't do that. All of these things are vitally important, but they can't get to our primary problem. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from our sin. We need to be rescued from our darkness. So when Jesus comes into this world, he comes to breathe life into those, all of us, who are sinners, who have fallen short of the glory of God. So every one of us in this sanctuary, every human has sinned, every human has fallen short of God's holy standards. And what the Bible teaches us is that our sin is not just an individual problem for me. It's not just a societal problem for the cities that we live in and the uh, businesses that we work in, but it is a problem for you and me that separates us from a perfect holy God. And so Jesus comes to rescue us from our sinfulness. It is a great transfer. Jesus comes to this world and he lives a perfect life so that we who are imperfect can receive abundant life now and eternal life forever. It is the transfer of lives. Jesus, who is perfect, comes to rescue imperfect humans like me, like you, like us, like all humanity, And he gives us what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness. And he gives us what we cannot earn, which is the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life forever. This is the crux of Christmas. This is the central answer to why did Jesus come to give us life? How do you receive that life? It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift that an eternal God gives to you to unwrap by faith. It is a gift that is offered to all who would turn to him, all who would receive him. It is a gift that if you hear me today, it's a gift for you. No matter your past, no matter your present, no matter your regrets, no matter your decisions now, no matter the uncertainties of your future, it is a gift that God is extending to you and you receive it by faith. Would you today unwrap that gift of salvation? Would you today say, I admit God that that I am the problem, that I am a sinner and my sin separates me from you, a holy God. I believe, I believe that 2000 years ago, you sent your son who lived a perfect life and died a saving death. This is the, the news of the gospel is that when Jesus was on the cross, he absorbed all of our sin. All of the darkness of your heart and my heart was placed upon him. And on the third day, when he was raised from the dead, he defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He defeated the grave itself. And when we turn to him for salvation, we receive life now and life forevermore. Have you received that gift? Has there been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you turned from the darkness of your own life and moved away from the solutions that this world offers to gaze upon the light of Jesus? Notice that Jesus is the source of true life, but that's not only the, the only image that is used in this passage. Notice also Jesus is our great light. In John chapter 1, verse 5, he goes on to say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We need to say that out loud. The, the light shines in the darkness and... Let's just say it one more time. The light shines in the darkness and? 
Now, uh, of course, these images of life and light, they overlap. But notice what John is doing here as he talks about Jesus. He reminds us that the power of Jesus to penetrate into the darkness of your soul and of the human predicament of this world. The, the light shines. Uh, uh, you go back to third grade or fourth grade, I think Ms. Martin was my teacher who helped me diagram sentences to be able to see that, that shines is in the present tense here. So what we're saying here is that Jesus is still shining in the darkness of this world. That Jesus is still shining in the darkness of whatever your circumstances are. No matter how difficult they are, no matter how dark they are, no matter how trying the timeline that you're following and scrolling through on social media, no matter how the darkness of your own timeline that scrolls before your life, the uncertainty and questions and difficulties, none of these circumstances can extinguish the light of Jesus. None of the darkness that is real and true in this world can snuff out the light of Jesus. That the light of Jesus, it has not, is not, cannot, and will not be extinguished. Darkness schemes, darkness plots, Darkness tries to penetrate into the crevices of our world and our life. Darkness is, is real. But what is more real and more powerful is the light of Jesus that cannot be extinguished, cannot be unplugged, cannot be covered up by the darkness of this world. Uh, there's a couple of elements of, of light that I think are helpful for us to think about this image. One, light reveals. Think about that. That, that light reveals when you walk into a dark room, you've done some Christmas shopping, you come back at nine o'clock, your house is still, your house is dark. What's your first impulse? Let's cut on some lights. Let's see the way up the steps here. I mean, you don't have to watch hundreds of horror movies to know that when you come to, to the top of the stairs that go into the basement and the basement light doesn't work, don't go down into the basement. <laughs> That's not a good idea. We need light. We crave light. Light shows us what is mysterious to us, what we can't see. We need light to, to shine the way here. What Isaiah would tell us is in chapter 9, verse 2, that Jesus is the light that was predicted. Jesus was the light that was prophesied. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Without Jesus, we are living in a state of spiritual darkness. Without Jesus, we're living in a state where we're bumping up in the walls of our ignorance and we're bumping into the walls of our sinfulness and the light of Jesus shines through the word of God and the spirit of God that dwells in us to show us that there is a way to be rescued from the darkness of our own soul, the darkness of this world. And so his light reveals to us how sinful we are and how our sin separates us from him. But the light reveals just how crazy God is for you. Just, just how much God loves you, this light shows us. The light of the word of God, the light of Jesus is, is a, a forever reminder of the extent that God would go to rescue you and me. When my boys were much smaller and much younger, it seems like yesterday, but it really wasn't. I would 
pull him up into my lap. And I look at Hayden, he's two, and Luke when he was two and three, and Jonathan when they're two and three, and I would, I would say, do you know how much your daddy loves you? It was just a little game we played and we did it all the time. I would say, does your daddy love you this much? I'd say, no. Okay, your dad loves you this much, right? No. Does your dad love you this much? No. And we get to the end of it and I would say, you know how much your dad loves you? Your dad loves you this much. And I would stretch out my arms as far as I could get it. And I would over-exaggerate to show them, Hayden, you've got my heart. Luke, you've got my heart. Jonathan, you've got my heart. Everything in my human, fatherly, as an imperfect dad, you've got my heart this much. Do you know how much your heavenly father loves you? This much? This much? This much? No, he loves you this much, enough to to stretch out the very arms of his son upon a cross and that the darkness of sin and the darkness of this world will be taken upon him as his arms are stretched out, reminding us forevermore that the light of Jesus reveals to us how much God would love us enough that he would send his only son for your sins and my sins that were placed upon him, the darkness of our thoughts, the darkness of our actions, the darkness of our past, the darkness of our present, the darkness of our future, all of it. Upon him, as he stretches out his arms to tell you, this is how much I love you. That reveals his love for us not only does light reveal, light attracts. Look at a toddler, even a baby. Bring them into a room and see how their eyes will go to the light. How they'll be captivated and transfixed by the light. There's something that is enlightening about the light. There's something that draws us and entices us. We desire to explore it. What Jesus tells us is, I have come, chapter 12 of John's gospel, into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. When the light of Jesus shines upon our sinful soul, it attracts us to him. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, with with the audible sound of my voice, this very well may be one of the ways that the light is shining upon your darkness. Maybe you're seven years old or 77 years old. And you're walking in the darkness of your sin. You're walking apart from the salvation of Jesus. It very well may be the light is shining. The light of the gospel. And today might be the day that he calls you to trust him. Do you hear how much he loves you? Do you see that the light is calling you to him? Light attracts, light reveals, light guides. We go back to Exodus and the... Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And do you remember there was a cloud by day and fire by night to lead them? Think of the Psalm, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all of the Bible. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus would tell us in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light 
of life. This is Jesus drawing these two images together. If you follow me, you will walk in the light of life. So what does this mean for us? If you're not a follower of Christ, this means turn to him. This means trust him by faith. It means talk to your mom and dad today. What does it mean to become a follower of Jesus? I want to know more about this. If you're here today and you're not a follower of him and maybe is, is turning to someone and saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you some more. Come in and find me at the end of the service talking to one of our ministers in our next steps area. Now, many of you, if not the majority of you, are followers of Christ. And the question is, well, what does this mean for my life? And it's interesting that John is going to answer that question, but not in the way that we might think. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist, not, he's not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, let's just imagine this would never happen, obviously, inspired by the Holy Spirit is the word of God. But let's just imagine you are an associate of John and he's writing this first draft of the gospel and he says, hey, I need you to look over this. It might be at this place, verse six, that you underline the sentence and write in the margin, maybe out of place. Like, Why are we introducing John the Baptist? You're on this great run about who the word is and he's the life and he's the light and he comes into this world. Why are we gonna introduce John the Baptist? Save him. Save him for later. Let's get him a little bit later into the story here. But that's not what John does. It's not what the Holy Spirit intended to do. Why is that the case? Well, we see perfectly. In John the Baptist's life, our responsibility as Christians, are you the light as a Christian? Are you the source of salvation? The answer is no. We as Christians, we shine to point people to the source of salvation. Uh, we're, we're not the light. John the Baptist wasn't the light. Some of you maybe have seen this painting before. It's in a small museum in northeastern France, 16th century painter by the name of Matthias uh, Grunewald, who painted this picture who you see clearly Jesus upon the cross. Mary, his mother, is overwhelmed with grief being caught by the beloved disciple John in his arms as she grieves the crucifixion of her son. Mary Magdalene is upon her knees. You see the jar of ointment, perfume, as she anoints the very feet of her Savior. Out of place, out of time, this painter has put John the Baptist into the crucifixion story, holding a book and with this exaggerated index finger pointing to Jesus. Now, we know that John the Baptist was not at the crucifixion. He had already died. He'd been killed. But here, this painter is placing him into the crucifixion. Why? To show us what John tells us in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8. That John the Baptist was not the light, but he points to the light. And every one of us that are here today as Christians, this is our responsibility. We're pointers to the light. That through our words and our actions, we're all pointing somewhere what is centrally important to you and me. Uh, with our words and our actions at work, our words and actions in our hobbies and at school, our words and actions at home, in our neighborhoods, we're saying, hey, look at me. Or look at what's centrally important to me in my work or my hobbies or my pursuit 
Or do we say, look to him? This is the very point of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember where he says, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and pat you on the back? No, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is our calling to, to shine as the moon shines in relationship to the sun. The moon doesn't originate life. It doesn't originate the rays. It, it is a recipient of the light of the sun and it shines that light as it reflects in relationship to the sun. So we, we reflect the light of the son of God, the spirit of God that dwells in us and the radiance of his glory as we dwell with him and abide deeply with him. A couple years ago for a present, someone gave us a small solar-powered flashlight, kind of a gift, and we didn't think much of it. Had it outside for a little bit of time, you know, could see it was charging up, and then threw it into a closet with some candles and some other uh, battery-powered flashlights and the lights and electricity one night in the midst of a thunderstorm went off. And so I thought, here's a great opportunity. So I looked away from the battery-powered flashlights. I looked away from uh, the uh, candles, and I was excited to get that solar-powered flashlight and for it to work, and I cut it on, and it barely shone. Its power had been depleted because it had sat in the closet in the darkness for months and months and months away from the very source of its brightness and light. We shine as the moon to the sun as we're in the presence of Jesus in his word and in prayer. And so often... Each and every one of us do not shine. We cover over our light with sin or we remove ourselves from the word of God. We remove ourselves from intimacy with him in prayer and our light, our lights are dim because we're hiding in the darkness. Here's a call for us to shine brightly for him. Here's a call for us to live before him and abide deeply with him. This is why you're here this morning. The songs that we sing point us to the radiance of the sun. That the prayers that are prayed, they point us to the radiance of the sun. That the preaching, the hearing of the word of God, it points us to the radiance of the sun so that we can bask in his glory to point people to the source of that light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Am I going to hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Amen? Let us pray.